All right, Benji, thank you for talking with me. We're going to start at the very beginning, which is where and when were you born? Okay, I was born in New York City in 1996. And what month and date? Because I'm interested in your astrological sign. Okay, June 7th. <gasps> that is so interesting. My birthday is June 12th. Jack Kammer, who uh, is a men's movement man, is June 11th. And there's somebody else that's June 7th. So it's a popular month for people interested in this topic. <laughs> okay, so do you feel like a Gemini? They have multiple interests, can have multiple personalities, don't like to just do one, be in one box, communicative. Yeah. I think I, I, I think that I do kind of feel like that. I was sort of raised by, by my grandma, like hearing a lot about uh, astrological signs. So she, she kind of like, pounded in, into me, even though, to be honest, I don't really, you know, buy into it from, like, a logical perspective, but I do see, see, see the value in, like, you know, think, thinking about you, yourself in, in, in different ways and seeing where, where that takes you, so I, 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 I certainly see some value in believing. Uh, you know, to me, people ask me, if you're doing kind of scholarly work, why in the heck would you ask people about their signs? And I say because it's a really well-known personality description that someone could react to. It's like a quick way to describe where someone is. And you're right, there's no logic for how a constellation could affect a behavior on Earth. It, 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 there's, there's no logical explanation, but it works. Like, like I know in my chart, I have Aries, which is a lot of energy, and Mars, a lot of energy. No, Mars and Aries at the, the 10th house of occupation and uh, in the Midhaven. So there's a lot of energy that I put into my work. And it, it shows up in my chart. Do you know the other parts of your chart? Do you remember your rising and your moon? I do not remember any of that, no. Okay, your grandmother would know. Um, how did you get from New York to Berkeley? You see Berkeley as an uh, undergrad. Okay, well, so uh, my, my family and I moved when I was seven from New York to Los Angeles. And then, so I, I was in LA. And then, so I, I went to a community college after high school for a year, and then I transferred into Berkeley. Mm -hmm. um, where did you go to high school? Because I went to high school at University High in, at West LA. Okay, I was in Palos Verdes in Palos Verdes High School. Oh, yeah. Right, that's not far away. Um, so I'm when I got into Berkeley, I, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I had good test scores, you know, SATs, National Merit Scholar, runner-up, whatever. But my grades weren't that good because I didn't, you know, I read novels through most of high school rather than doing homework. So I'm, but when you got in, you had to have like four point five and oodles of AP classes and activities. So how did you get in? <laughs> yeah, well, I actually wasn't very, very impressive of a candidate um, out of out of high school. Like I, I didn't get into any any of the colleges that I wanted to go to. So that was the reason that I went to community college. But then I think in community college, I I, I kind of like gained a different kind of appreciation for learning. In like a, in a in a college setting, and I became a much better student. So I ended up having a pretty solid application as a transfer. And did you have activities, you know, besides the GPA? Um, 
I did a couple of things. Like I was a chess teacher um, on the, on the side, but but really it was it was nothing too impressive. I, I think like as a as a as a transfer, they they really mostly care about your GPA. It, uh, it, it's more simple somehow. Yeah. I thought they didn't let transfers in except as a junior, but you went in as a sophomore. Yeah, I had a bunch of AP credits, and I just just took a bunch of units in, in, in my one year as a community college student. So I was able to finish it uh, in in one year. Yeah. So you you entered as a as a junior. Yeah, I, I entered as a junior, and it was my second year of college, right? Yeah, got it. oh, that's great. Um, and what did you major in? Did you major in psych? In psych, yeah. Why? Um, I've been into psych for a really long time. Like, I think it was, I, I was like 14 years old when I, 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 I read some like uh, Sigmund Freud, like introdu introductory lectures to psychoanalysis. And from there, I was like really into it. My mom ha had some books that, that she would share with me. And my, my uh, grandma also just like had a bunch of these like cassette tapes on, on old like psych psychological, I don't know, like theories. And I would listen to those a bunch, so I, I was always in, into it. Uh, yeah. Um, may I ask what what professions your parents were in, if that influenced you? Yeah, my my, my mom is, is a psychiatrist, so mm. that's definitely an influence. Yeah. Um, and what about your dad? My dad is a businessman. Um, yeah. Mhm. Mm um, did your mom psychoanalyze you when you were growing up? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I definitely never never noticed any of that. Um, I I think she was yeah she she didn't really strike me as as as, as having like a, you know an analytics psychoanalytic perspective. She seemed like a you know normal person to me. But did she say, well, Benji, it sounds like you're feeling irritated because we asked you to do so-and-so. Do you think it's possible we could compromise? I mean, did she do that kind of active listening stuff? I don't know. I, yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't really think so. I don't know that, that she was employing those methods. She just seemed like she's being in the, in the moment kind of a you know, passionate uh, Soviet-style individual. Got it. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have a big brother and a little sister. So you're a middle child. Do you, yeah. um, you know, with the stereotype middle child, is there kind of lost in the middle? Did you feel like that or not? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm a little bit like quieter at, at, at home than my brother and sister are. They're, they're both like very expressive people. So maybe there's a little, a little bit of that, but it's not, 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 not something that I really think about much. Mm -hmm. Um, when, High school is interesting to me, and you're not that far away from it, so you can remember, because it seems like it's the time when young people are most segregated. Like, you, that lunchtime, you could see the jocks are here, and the cheerleaders are here, and the preppies are here, and the nerds are here, and this ethnic group is here. And was it, was it like that in Pacific Palisades High? Um, Palisades is, but... Um, Wait, um, I, I guess so, but I, I, I sort of feel like my, my friend group in high school uh, didn't necessarily fit in, into any of those, like, you know, uh, categories. We're, we're like sort of oddballs, but, but also not, not like terribly, you know, socially horrible or terribly skilled in athletics or terribly smart, but like, you know, it's like sort of, sort of smart. We're just like, yeah. <laughs> Um, and did 
did you have boys and girls as friends? Because when I was in high school a long time ago, I think about the only time boys and girls got together was to date. But they, they you know, you didn't have like a really good platonic friend who was the the other sex. In high school, I didn't. In college, my my best friend all throughout college, uh, shout out Clarice, was a, a a woman. So, but but yeah, in in in, in high school, no. Mhm. Mm um, I I interviewed a um, a young man in Asheville, North Carolina, and he said. When he was in middle school, there were really strong injunctions, be a man, which means don't do certain things, which I guess is be feminine. And I wonder if, if what messages you got about becoming a man, what does that mean? Um, interesting. So, so he was talking about in mid middle school, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, th I think middle school really is a period where you like learn in a in a really intense and like painful way about all of those norms. But then like once you know like through through high school that 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 sort of less uh, lessens and people are maybe able to, uh, you know, feel the in, in intensity of, of those roles kind of loosen. And then in college, especially in uh, Berkeley, that's like even further where it comes like you know not even a concern uh, to some level. But yes, yeah, certainly middle school is a, is a is a time where, at least for me, it was like really I, I felt like and uh, I I I I had to change myself a lot to meet those kind kinds of uh, standards of a man, you know. So what it, like specifically what kind of changes? Like don't cry, don't be vulnerable. I don't know what what what. How did you have to con bend to conform to being a guy? I think it's I, I think it's like, like a general uh, toughness and engaging in like the uh, competition for hierarchy with with other boys in the class and, and that sort of con continues that that's like maybe, maybe one of the di differences be between friendships between uh, just two two males and between a male and a female I think if, if you have a a friend of the opposite gender, there's less of that like jockeying for position. Whereas if I have friends that are males, I have to be kind of sensitive that I'm not like, you know, uh, stepping on his ego. But also like there's a constant kind of battle for who is the head of, of this relationship. You know, Deborah Tan and the linguist uh, did studies of young people's speech. And what she found, you probably know, is that girls talking with other girls tells secrets. Did you know that so-and-so has a crush on so-and-so? And so-and-so, and, so -and, -so, and And she says what boys do is jockey for those dominance hierarchies and share how-to information. This is how you fix the engine or something like that. Um, and then the point is when they get together in romantic relationships, the, the girl is used to telling secrets and the guy is used to solving problems and establishing dominance hierarchies. So there's, it, it takes a while to harmonize that. Do you, do you think that's still true? That's really interesting. Um, maybe that is true in, in general, but I feel like in, 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 in my friendships, especially my, my like core group of close friends, maybe we're, we're just kind of weird, but like 
all that we would do in high school was just like sit in a, in a parking lot and just talk in, in my friend's car and mostly talking about our feelings or like hopes or uh it, yeah it, it it was really kind of emotion focused discussions so I, I think that 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 um concept is is changing of what men and women talk about um unless like i said we're, we're just like outliers and most most men are still talking about those things i don't know <laughs> well that would be an interesting study what do teenagers talk about with same-sex groups in 2021 that would be interesting um, I know that um, I, I, I did a book about climate girls changing our world and other books, surveys of young people, and what came up a lot from girls was drama, that, that what's hard about adolescence is drama, which I think means who is talking about who behind who's back about who likes who and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking that boys don't get involved in drama in the same, they're not as interested. And I think, I think that you're right about that. Like that definitely seeing my, my sister growing up where the amount of like interpersonal conflict yeah. within those uh, girl, girl groups is nuts. It's like actually a, a, a constant turmoil um, for like, you know, the, the entire period of adolescence. And the turmoil is like, okay, we're five, and then now it's these two against these three, or this one's left out, and it's two and two, and one's... Is, is that the conflict? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so now that you're in, in graduate school, and people are in their mid-twenties, say, um, what do you find in terms of how men and women graduate students relate to each other? Man, I haven't even interacted with, with most of my uh, fellow graduate students, you know, since the pandemic started. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, before that, I, I, I really feel like gender is, is, is playing less of a role than it, it has in other times of my life because everybody is, is, has such similar interests because we're all in a, you know, very specific kind of program. Um, and I think everyone kind of thinks in, like, similar ways. So it, it almost feels like I don't, I don't really think about gender much when I'm interacting with different members of, of my cohort or in, in my classes. What about hanging out, like go get a beer after a class or something like that, or coffee? I, I really feel like I could get a beer with any of my um, classmates, and yeah, I feel like I, I, would, I would have a sort of similar kind of conversation with any of them because... Yeah, we just have very similar attitudes, and we also like are all on the same page about what is acceptable and not acceptable to talk about. So uh, you know, th there's not like necessarily guy guy talk to mm -hmm. have that that uh, women in, in in the program would not uh, you know like to hear about. Like mm -hmm. people to, to just wouldn't wouldn't uh, make that gender separation. But that that's sort of interesting that 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 has uh, changed a lot. Mm. In, in, in grad school. Mm. Um, what about dating? I mean, it seems like dating almost is like an old-fashioned concept now. It's more like people kind of hook up casually or they go out in groups, but it's, it's not so much pairing up and dating. No, people still date. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People still date for sure. I mean, like, there's a there's a separate like hookup culture, and that's definitely 
you know, a thing in, in, in a lot of college campuses and I guess outside too. But people are still dating and interested in monogamous relationships and all that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Um, when, when you think back to your time, let's say, at Berkeley, rough, I know this isn't exactly a fair question, but roughly what percent of people were interested in monogamy and what percent were into, I'm, I just want to have some fun on the weekend and that's all I care about. Um, that's interesting. I don't know. I, I feel like a, a, a lot of people are, a lot of people were in, interested in the, the latter, but then also kind of passively looking to see, you know, potentially one of these people that I hook up with, um, or, uh, could, could like turn into a relationship. That's, that's how a lot of like relationships start. I think like pe people might meet, for example, on a, on a dating app and think that it's something casual and then it kind of. Uh, blossoms in, in, into something different. They don't necessarily go into it with, with like a set goal for a relationship and then plans to, to have a you know marriage down down the line or something. I think that that was sort of the uh, vibe in college. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, people now a lot of times on their emails, the the little footer will say my pronouns are blah blah blah. Um, what what are your pronouns and what do you think of that? My pronouns are he, him. Uh, yeah, it, it, it really is interesting that that has uh, changed in the in the past few years, and, and there's a whole different way of, of, of kind of look, looking at gender. It's not really my area of, you know, research expertise, um, but it is kind of interesting, and I'm curious to see how it evolves in the future. Um, but I, I, I think it's a, a cool thing that people are being applauded or, or encouraged to uh, it, like ex express different parts of himself that maybe they would want to uh, hide in other situations or in the past. Um, I read that about a third of U.S. adolescents are gender questioning, thinking they're the they want to be the other gender. They're, there's a lot of ambiguity and flexibility about gender, and a third seems like a lot. And I that wonder. Like a lot. What can I ask you? What's the source on, on that? Um, I'll I'll have to look it up because I don't have it in yeah. my head. Um, but if it's right, any ideas about why? I guess I have to I have to have a definition first about what does it mean to be gender questioning. I think like, it means I'm not a hundred percent okay with being the birth I was assigned the gender I was assigned at birth. Yeah, but then there's there's also some like nuance where people can identify as like they them or or like even like he slash them, which means that you, you like maybe primarily identify as a male, but you also sort of identify as male. It's 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 a little bit unclear to me, but um, yeah, like there there's there is some nuance there. Um, that I'm yeah I'm just, I'm just not well ed educated enough in it. But well, it is interesting. You you do research in adolescents, support groups, communities online. So what what do you see there in terms of gender discussion? Um, that's in interesting. So I, I, I did one study where I was uh, surveying people from different mental health support communities online. Uh, and a lot of the, the, the people that use those spaces are like teenagers. And... 
I asked people to indicate their genders, and there were, yeah, a, a, a pretty fair amount of people um, that were like gender questioning or didn't I, I identify as cis, cisgender. Um, but that is like kind of a unique pop population too of like people that seek, seek out mental health support online. So it's certainly not rep representative of, of like the general pop population. I'm wondering if it's part of typical adolescent rebellion, you know, that your job as an adolescent is to question all the the roles that have been posed on you, create your own identity. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's just part of, well, I'm going to question everything. What religion, values, whatever data, anything I'm going to question because that's my job as an adolescent. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like um, there is like a, a, a clearly an, an aspect of questioning. You know, it's like called uh, gender uh, questioning. Um, but I also think, think that like there were a, a, a lot of forces on people that, that, that might like forces in the, in the past that are not as strong now on people that might have otherwise been able to, to, to question their gender or like try out, you know, expressing diff different parts of themselves. You mean like religion? Yeah. Yeah. And, and just like society in, in, in general, like, uh, the the stereotypes about transgender people uh, in the past were like really pretty severe and 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 harsh. So yeah, I don't I don't really know what else to say about it. Well, I'm also thinking about there's a decades long tradition of Boy George, a lot of really popular singers who present pretty female feminine. So maybe that just creates the kind of permission you're a guy you want to wear eyeshadow and earrings go for it yeah yeah sure that, that that's like part, part of that cultural trend to like more ex acceptance of different ways of uh presenting mm -hmm. you know that's that's what i really find about generation y and your generation z is they're really what distinguishes them they're really comfortable with diversity and they don't care what your color is or your gender is or your ethnicity. They don't care. It's what, what counts is who you are. I mean, that's a generalization, but that seems to me a big difference in your generation. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, I, I, I think that it's kind of impossible to, to actually not care about those aspects of people. Um, but we, we at least really try, try hard to not care or try hard to, to not, you know, let that influence our perception of people or, you know, we're like trying, trying to, to build a world in which people feel like they, they have like equal opportunities to, you know, live full lives despite, um, you know, various, you know, back, backgrounds or ways that they want to live. Right. The, the men's movement people, make the case that um, boys are disadvantaged, young men are disadvantaged. They're less likely to graduate from university around the world, except sub-Saharan Africa. They are more likely to have mental health problems. They're more likely to commit suicide. They're more likely to die than, than women. So do you um, agree with that analysis or not? That's a really bold claim. I, I yeah, my, 
I think my, my initial reaction is probably most people's initial reaction, which is that that is kind of a ridiculous claim given the history of patriarchy in the, in the world. Um, but those are interesting arguments. Maybe there, there's, there's some, some truth to, like, as we move into a more modern world, some of the things that were advantages for men historically, are be, like uh, fit physical strength, are becoming less and less uh, advantages. Um, but yeah, at, 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 at this current time, to say that men are disadvantaged in society, it seems like a little bit of a stretch. Well, because we know that they they run the corporations and the governments, and they're the heads of all the, and they have the, they're, if you see billionaires, they're mostly men except women who inherited it. So they, they run, they run the, the dominant positions, but, and I, the, no one can disagree with that, but these men yeah. say, but we've got to look at the fact that they, women are graduating more women are graduating from university, and that's going to be big in terms of pipeline into positions of power. So, do you have any ideas about why men aren't as likely now to graduate from university? I was wondering about that. I'm, 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 I'm sort of stumped. Like, maybe there are, there are certain jobs out there that are like male jobs, and those tend to be more physical. Um, so, like, and and they, they don't require a college degree. Um, I don't know. What, what have you heard about? Well, I, I interviewed a young man who's 21 named Tristan yesterday, and he said that girls got more support and encouragement throughout secondary school, which is interesting because studies used to show that a girl would say something in class and the teacher would say, uh-huh, and the boy would say something, oh, well, tell me more about this. Why did you conclude da-da-da-da-da? So the older study said, no, boys got more encouragement and, and interaction, but he's, his experience was the teachers were more supportive of the girls. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that I've noticed that, that kind of gender difference, but I, I believe him that, that he noticed that. But it is, it is something that maybe I, I should be thinking about more, especially because as a, as a psych major, like in my undergrad, I was like usually one of like five males in a, in, in a class out of like 50. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like it's, it, it's like really skewed um, toward, toward, towards women in the field today. Mm. I just don't know about why that is. Do you, do you know how many, um, what percentage of UC students are female? I don't. I don't know if you do. I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's like something like high high 50s. I don't know. Let me just not, not, not guess. <laughs> yeah, right. I think yeah. The, the, the percentages around the world, it's not like 60% women. It's more like 53%, something like that, who are for graduates. Um, so l let's go back to your online study. So studies show that their adolescents are having increasing at least reports of anxiety and depression. So Professor Jane Twingy, T-W-E-N-G, says yeah. that it's because of social media. And I feel bad because somebody didn't like my post on Instagram or I see a party photo and I wasn't invited. So I don't agree with her, but I wanted to know what you think in terms of the relationship of social media use and anxiety and depression. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of different arguments about that from Twingy, from Jonathan Haidt, and then from like different like popular uh, 
media people like Joe, Joe Rogan is always talking about how social media is dangerous and like I think at, at, at some level there are like dangers of getting addicted to social media I think like everybody in my generation including very much me is kind of appalled at how much time we spend just like scrolling through Twitter and stuff that in, in retrospect is not meaningful to us <laughs> and then yeah also what Twenty was bringing up about like teen teenagers kind of obsessing about what they post and having these really intense experiences where you're like watching the likes come into your post and all that validation and it, it's, it's, it, it's certainly an, an emotionally salient experience but the evidence has, has generally not shown that social media is linked to like mental health deterioration. Like th there have been, there have been a, a, a attempts to show that, but in, in general, the evidence is just not there. So What Twingy says is she has these access to these huge thousands of surveys of high school seniors and college freshmen, and she says the anxiety and depression rates correlate with cell phone use and access to these kind of social media. So that's her proof, I think. Yeah, I, 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 I've seen those charts, but I've also been warned a lot about those, those kinds of charts of correlation of one, one variable and another variable going over 10 years, because there's just like so many variables that exist. Right. I mean, it, it is true that the, like so, social media and smartphones are, are probably like one of the, the, the greatest variables that have changed in, in, in people's lives. Um, but like, yeah, like studies that have actually tested for like causal associations between social media use or digital, like, uh, tech, tech, technology use and mental health have not found it. So like, I'm, I'm not saying that we, that we should stop, stop doing research, but we actually just, just don't have that, uh, data now to support that. Like we should, we should definitely still be, be asking questions about like how am I, social media be like skewing the way that we think about the world. There are a lot of really interesting questions that I want to explore my, myself in the future in research. Um, Dr. John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, he thinks that video games work on your dopamine and that the more intense it is, you get it, it's just like heroin, like I get used to this heroin, I need a bigger dose of heroin to have the same effect, I need a more violent, more exciting video, and it's it's a it's an a dopamine addiction. What do you think of that? Yeah, as, as, as someone that grew up playing video games, that, that doesn't really strike me as being true, <laughs> like I, I wasn't like seeking out more more intense dopamine hits. Like yeah, there, there are certainly aspects of my, my, my own video game use when I was growing up that were like yeah, like have have that same kind of like em, em, emotional salience and and that dopamine like craving to to get on like RuneScape and you know do like accrue more of these weird like video game uh, resources that for for some reason I really wanted. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know about that like more 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 violent more intense kind of thing. Mm. And my, my own like video game uh, interest in video games kind of just fizzled out um, as I found different things to get it, get into. I don't, I don't I don't think it was that that, that serious for me though. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it seems to me it's like people get addicted to slot machines. 
when you're gambling and you get a little bit of reinforcement and bright lights and noise and stuff. Yeah. So I, I mean, would you agree that they can be addicting video games for boys? For, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think a lot of people are, are like at a low level addicted. Like all, all, all these systems can be addicting. People like definitely are addicted to their phones. Um, but Maybe it's 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 not necessarily the worst thing. Like I'm addicted to, to you know, getting regular exercise in some ways. Um, so it's it, it's like maybe just the part part of the human condition at a certain level. So what other explanations can you think of why um, anxiety and depression rates have gone up, especially for girls? I don't. I really don't know. I'm like like so 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 maybe people are just more more aware about mental health issues and they're more interested in getting help or seeking a diagnosis that would be nice if, if, if that was the reason um but yeah there are just plenty of other reasons that i shouldn't speculate about as, as a good uh, young scientist <laughs> um what what i think and see what you think is that there's more pressure on young people now because it's harder to get into college you, you it's more expensive you know that you're going to graduate with like at least $24,000 in debt. That means you have to have a good job to pay for that debt. Plus, you've got your social media thing. You should look good on your on your Instagram posts or Twitter or whatever. Um, so it's pressure to succeed and it's pressure to be popular, I guess you would say. So there, there you get pressure from every every direction. And that, that can be anxiety-producing. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I think for at, at least some some people that is a that is a real cause of anxiety. I, I certainly you know was stressed stressed about that a lot, like all, all throughout my college years. Like what is what is going to happen after college? Um, now I'm not stressed that much, even though I probably should be stressed about the the, the future a bit more. Um, no, because you got into grad school, so there's there's no other hoop. <laughs> well, I mean, there's many hoops, but there's not a another hoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that I convinced myself that grad school wouldn't be the last two, but now that I'm in grad school and I see that not every PhD finishes and has to have happy life after, um, yeah. But, but like maybe because I've, I've, I've been through this like process of worrying about about the future so many times now. <laughs> you worry um, yourself I'm, out. I'm kind of getting more more used to it, and I've picked up some more coping skills. You know, I'm doing yoga now, so. I don't, I don't, I don't worry as much. Great. You know, my, my PhD experience was I, I approached it that they're throwing obstacles, hoops in my path. Like I had to learn German. I already knew French. I would never need German. So, but I just had to, I figured out a way so I didn't have to really be fluent. I had to, um, uh, uh, add on a whole new area of study that wasn't pertinent to my dissertation just because one professor felt like I should have it. So I, to me, grad school was like this obstacle, this obstacle, this obstacle, this, and you just know that you ha you're going to get more obstacles and you just keep going. So mm -hmm. I don't know. But f for you, I hope it's more, um, it, it's not, it doesn't feel like an obstacle course. What did you study in grad school? Religious studies at UCSB. Oh, cool. I was actually at UCSB for the two years in between undergrad and grad school. Ah. 
Yeah, some some of my lab mates were into religious experiences from like a psychological perspective, and they're working with with some religious uh, studies people there. Ah. so yeah. did you get your masters at UCSB? No, I, I was just just a lab manager for two years. Oh, and, yeah. Um, what what are you going to do your dissertation on? You're doing it on the 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 community online communities. I'm not exactly sure. Like I'm, 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 I'm still a second year, so I have a bit more time to figure out exactly what I want to do it on. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe do, trying to do some, some kind of intervention for mental health that is like that can be done in online context and it's kind of tailored to the needs of online community members. Like okay, so right, right now I'm, I'm working with a com- computer scientist to try and design like an artificial intelligence system that can respond to mental health questions. So the idea, the idea is that we like train this system with data from actual online support communities. So we will like pull a bunch of questions and responses that people post on like an online community. So it's, it's a real person's response and a real person's answer. And then we'll try and train this artificial intelligence system to create uh, new responses to new questions based on what it's learned. So right now I'm, I'm like uh, working with him to try and figure that out. And if that kind of system works out, I feel like pursuing that, seeing how it, it, it can be applied uh, in an online setting would be an exciting thing to study. So oh, that, yeah. that's like one potential avenue, but I'm not sure about it. Um, have you heard of the android Sophia? No. Um, there's a woman named Marilyn Schlitz, who I know from a, a, my work in visionary scientists. And um, you can have a conversation with um, Sophia. And she, is, she has form. I mean, she's not just a software. She, ha, you know, she has a figure. And, mm-hmm. um, and so there may be, I would look up Sophia Android because there may be uh, already programs like that because you can Marilyn Schlitz had this really profound conversation with her with Sophia well so, yeah yeah there, there, there are definitely a lot of different like they're called like uh, conversational bots or conversational agents that can have those kinds of uh, like in, interactions uh, but there's still challenges there like having a, a, a having someone really perceive that this agent is is like being em- empathic towards you, or like able to to, to provide like meaningful ad- advice, um, is still not something that has been perfected. Like that, there, there's there's a lot of room to de- develop in that, in that yeah. I'm thinking if you were like talking with like Sophia, then then her face could be programmed to be empathetic, to to laugh when if it's humorous or you know, look concerned if, if you say something, I hate myself or whatever it is. Um, I bet that'll be the wave of the future that you'll, you'll talk to someone like Sophia online. By the way, this is an end note. There, there, I think I saw it in, in the same um, community, the conversation as you posted your research in, that the helping Android you know, Alexa and Siri, they're all female. And that females are seen as more human. 
<laughs> more helpful, which is kind of really sexist and weird. I saw that article title. Did, did, did you read why that was? Um, remind me. Well, no, no, no. I, 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 I didn't read it. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, they just seem more, more kind and human. Okay, okay. I guess it's because we have mothers. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. And I, and I, and I guess you usually like, uh, at least like in, in, in our evolutionary environments, most like interpersonal threats probably came from men, like most threats of violence. So yeah, I guess, but then are, are, are women in, in general, like human women viewed as more, uh, pleasant to talk to? Um, let me tell you this, uh, for the, a book that I'm doing on long-term marriages, I interviewed a trans couple, they're both trans, and the um, formerly female to male, now male, said that when he started taking testosterone, um, his, his visual reaction to things changed. Before, he'd see a beautiful woman and it would be, oh, it's a beautiful woman, and then, then with testosterone, it was like, Ugh breasts or whatever it is and he also said that he used to be like really comfortable with babies and oh let me see your baby and as a presenting as a man with a beard he doesn't go to your babies anymore because people think he's a threat or a pervert or something that is really fascinating yeah ha having that dual experience that is so cool yeah that's what I thought it's so interesting because because he, you know, he represents as a man, and it, it has, and I asked him, is there any other effects from testosterone, like you feel more, like you hear guys who take steroids are more angry or more aggressive or stuff, he said, didn't feel like that, the only, the only note, difference he noticed was the visual turn-on kind of thing. Um, so what else are you finding from these, these online support communities. What do you see in terms of gender differences? What's what are themes? What are they thinking about? Yeah, I, I think that the, the the central purpose of these communities is mostly to ask questions and then to 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 get an advice from other people. So mostly that that that's how a lot of the interactions happen. On some mental health communities, like there's a lot of venting. Uh, people, people just like need somewhere to express their feelings and then people will respond to that and kind of be like it's okay providing emotional support um, but then there, there's just like such a huge diversity in online communities even within like online mental health communities the way that those communities are organized and the way that they're moderated and like if, 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 if there is someone that really puts a lot of effort into you know like creating high quality conversations and content on that community, there can be a very different feeling um, across different communities. Um, sort of like in like in person communities, they're really kind of like com complex, rich um, di dynamics in each of those different spaces. And what do you see in terms of gender usage? Of the it, it varies also by community. I, I think a lot, a lot of the mental health ones, at least the, the people that responded to my survey, so it's not necessarily a representative sample. Um, I, I think it was maybe like 60-40 uh, female. Um, but then I, in, I know that in, in, in other communities, 
it can be like 99% male or, you know, like, like, but, but because there are like such, such different topics discussed in different online, online communities, you can really find like a, a niche where it's only people that like think in, in one certain way about a certain set of topics. So there's just variation in who will be interested in that. So what are some of the really male majority groups? What are their topics? Um, I, I guess it, so like uh, for more like mu mu mundane topics, there are like maybe uh, boxing, boxing forums or MMA forums that are usually male dominated. There's like, uh, I, I used to go a lot to this like bodybuilding forum when I was a teenager and there was mostly males talking about uh, man things. There were a few females, but it, it really seemed like sort of sort of a, a abrasive experience to, to be a female in that kind of space, and I am present as a female because you would get so much a, a, a attention from all the other members, and a lot of it was negative. Um, a, lot, a, a lot of it was like nice too, but um, yeah, yeah, like it, it definitely it, it, it was it was not a space that was like e equal um, or natural in in some way. Mm. Um, there was a big controversy over women gamers. I guess that means designers who got a lot of um, abuse. What what was that all about? They were they were designing games or playing games or what? I, I think ga gamers means playing games. Uh, I'm not really familiar. Like I, I I've heard heard about some some of that conflict. Um, but yeah, I'm actually not 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 really familiar about what, what what the story was with that. I think it was women who design games, who are creators, okay, and, okay. and and then at conferences and stuff, they would get a lot of abuse online. You know, really not not just criticism, but abusive language. Um, hmm. And you know, some people, some women felt really threatened. So I, I guess the idea was that men were thinking of it, this is a fraternity and we don't want people in skirts in our fraternity. Gotcha. Yeah, maybe, maybe that, that is a subset of really intense, you know, nerdy kind of gamers. There are, there are, there are always weird subsets of, of in, individuals that, yeah, have, have those extreme beliefs. But I, I, I think the, the majority of gamers, like, don't, don't really worry about gender and are less... Uh, Severe. I, I, I don't. I definitely don't. Don't. Don't feel like it's a general characteristic of gamers to be sexist. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you think about your grandfather, your father, you, your brother, um, do you see changes in how they think of themselves as men and masculine and all that, or you know, what's changed or not changed over the generations? I can't really tell. Like honestly, I I was mostly raised by my mother and to some extent by, by my grandmother. I, I didn't really have like strong male influence when I was raised, so maybe I, I, I don't I don't I don't really think about it. But it not, nothing really stands stands out to me as as different in like the way that we present our masculinity between me and my dad or or, or my grandpa did. Um, uh, did your parents divorce? Yeah. Well, what I what I hear, and what my I think my son was maybe five, and people would say to him, "Take care of your mom," 
you know, he's like five. He's not going to take care of me. But since I didn't have a husband in the household, then, then he was supposed to be the caregiver. So, and I, and I, and uh, Tristan, who I interviewed yesterday, said he would hear that kind of stuff too, because his, his mom was divorced and he was the oldest son. Yeah, I've, I've certainly heard other, other people say that, but I gotta be honest, no one ever told me that. I think it's because my mom is actually just a tough in, individual and no one thought that <laughs> I, I would be needing to uh, protect her or anything. Right. Yeah. Um, do you think of yourself as a feminist or does, do you think that's just for women? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think of myself as a feminist, uh, you know, defined as want, wanting to in, ensure that all people have uh, access to opportunity, uh, like you know, at, at, at least like un, under the law, um, and some 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 level some level of equal opportunity to do what they want to do, regardless of, of who they are. Have you followed the men's movement at all? No. There, there's different branches, and um, some are the masculinists think that men are more oppressed for reasons we talked about, and then there's pro-feminists who want to work with women for equality. There's mythopoetic who want to develop the inner masculine kind of a Jungian approach. And there's men's rights, the guys who want shared custody after divorce. So the fact that you haven't really heard about them means they're not a big thing <laughs> in U.S. culture. Are you involved with, with that community? I was involved with the pro-feminists. It was a group called a national organization of men against sexism, and um, they they did a they they ran the best meetings that I've ever been to. They, they it was very it was very structured, but they they would start everyone check in, how are you feeling, what's up, and then they'd have timed agenda, and if you wanted to extend the time, you could vote. But they 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 did a really good job of incorporating feminist concerns, like how are you feeling with getting stuff done. So that I, I was impressed. But I will say, I went to one of the conferences and there's like this competition, male competition that we were talking about, who can be the most feminist? Because oh. there was a speaker who was a ma the men's rights speaker named Fred Hayward. And there was a big controversy, this is a long time ago, but there was a big controversy over whether he should be allowed to speak at a pro-feminist men's conference. And I said, yeah, why not? And then this another a man said to me, well, would you allow Phyllis Shafley to speak at a feminist women's conference? I said, I would love to debate Phyllis Shafley. That would be great. I think, you know, we should have as many people express their opinions as, as want to speak. But anyway, um, yeah. So um, that was... That was interesting. Um, what are your thoughts about becoming a father? Um, I think I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm, I'm not really close to it in any way. I'm single, and, and I don't really have any prospects of, 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 of being a father anytime soon. But, yeah, I, I like kids, so, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic about that. Um, that. You know, what's interesting to me is it's really changed. I wrote a book called... 50-50 marriage and 50-50 parenting in the 80s. And at that time, it was still, if a man was with a kid in a park, people would either say, he's a deviant, what's something weird's going on, or how nice he's babysitting for his wife. 
And now it's not like that. Now men are with little kids everywhere and people don't say it's weird or it isn't that great. It's, it's, there's much more permission for men to be with their kids. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Um, anything else that um, we haven't talked about, about gender roles, what you're seeing in terms of definitions of masculinity, femininity? Um, not, not really. Not, not that I can think of. Do you have any thoughts? Um, yeah. I have a grandson who's 10, and um, so I hang out a lot with 10-year-olds. And something that's really interesting to me is when he's with boys, he has twins, two boys that are his really good friends. I take him like hiking and in the car, I hear them talk. And their talk is all about, um, they read Percy Jackson novels about Greek gods and powers. And so they're, all their talk is about who has what power. Hmm. And if you had this weapon, how would you kill this other person who was after you? So it's, it's all about power, who has power, and they argue over who's running the, like the um, Dungeon and Dragons kind of scenario that they're doing. It's my turn. No, it's your turn. You did it last time. Okay. And then he has a really good friend, girl, and their conversation was about relationships. Like she thought, well, we should start a store, a little restaurant in her backyard. And their whole talk was, well, Maya would be the charge of this, and this other girl would be in charge of this, and Soren would be in charge of that. Or she wanted, she decided they were engaged and going to get married. So there was talk about how they would go, they would be YouTubers to make their money and have an RV and travel around. So it was like so stereotyped. Okay. It's 10 year olds. The relationship stuff, the power hierarchy stuff, it it's, it's kind of blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and weapons. You know, when my son was growing up, I did not give him weapons, but of course he took sticks and went, eh, 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 eh. and these, the, when I take the boys hiking, they, they make guns out of wood and take their weapons with them on the hikes. And the girls do not take weapons with them on the hikes. <laughs> That is really, really interesting. Like, I, I, I know that I have a lot of different ex examples of girls being into superheroes and girls being more ag aggressive or, or caring, caring more about, like, you know, power in a substance situation. So, you know, like, these are all just, like, you know, mean-level average trends. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it really is in interesting how, you know, there, there clearly are, cert at, 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 at some levels at least, sex-based gender differences um, and they, they, they just play out in interesting ways, yeah. Well, it makes sense because, I mean, our hormones influence our thinking. I mean, I, now they say brain differences, they're really minimal, there's nothing, but, I mean, testosterone does affect behavior and estrogen does affect behavior. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how these guys evolve. They, they don't think of girls having cooties which is when I was growing up. You know, boys or girls thought the other sex had cooties. And, but they don't, they, they're more comfortable being friends. Interesting, yeah. I, I actually was always con confused by cooties when I was growing up. Like, I, <laughs> I, never, I never really bought into that, personally. <laughs> Did you hear that the other sex had cooties? 
I definitely, yeah, heard that, but I don't know that I heard that from kids. I, I feel like it was always, like, adults just, like, mentioning that and laughing. Oh. But it always seemed kind of absurd to me. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I was not scared of transmitting something from <laughs> girls. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, this stuff, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, all right. Um, thank you, and keep in touch, and let me know how your research goes and that kind of thing. Okay. Thank, thank you, Gil.